Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love you to open it now to Leviticus chapter 15. This is an odd chapter, or at least it seems like an odd chapter to modern and particularly modern Western ears. But if it's any consolation, this has always been an odd chapter, and it would have seemed odd even to the people who originally heard it. R.K. Harrison says here, The nature of this legislation is quite unique in ancient Near Eastern literature. And while it was obviously important from a hygienic standpoint, the overall purpose was to preserve the purity and ceremonial holiness of the community, closed quote. So this kind of detailed ritual law around basic bodily functions was quite unique in ancient Near Eastern literature. Israel's neighbors did not have their own versions of these laws. Israel's neighbors thought they were being a little fastidious here, but there is a reason for that. God is building an instinct for purity in the hearts and minds of his people. We must always remember the primary purpose of the ritual law. John Calvin said it so well. He said, The ceremonial law of the Jews was a tutelage by which the Lord was pleased to exercise, as it were, the childhood of that people until the fullness of the time should come when he was fully to manifest his wisdom to the world and exhibit the reality of those things which were then adumbrated by figures. Closed quote. So, if this feels primitive to you, Good. It is supposed to feel primitive. It should feel primitive. If this feels a little childish to you, good. It is supposed to feel childish. These laws and rituals were given in the infancy of God's people. They weren't intended to last forever. They were intended to build habits, beliefs, and instincts that would then later be turned to other purposes. God is using immediate things, common things, and basic things to build a spiritual vocabulary. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean, and everything on which he sits shall be unclean. And anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean, 
And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches without having rinsed his hands in water shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. This particular section of the ritual law deals with four types of bodily discharge. Chronic discharge associated with a male body, occasional discharge associated with a male body, occasional discharge associated with a female body, and then finally, chronic discharge associated with a female body. The first 12 verses obviously deal with a chronic discharge associated with the male body. The running or flowing discharge described here might be the result of a urinary tract infection, or it could be gonorrhea, which can be transmitted through contact with infected towels and linens. So the management strategy involves bathing, quarantine, and cleansing of anything that may have come into contact with the affected individual. Verse 13. And when the one with a discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, and wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his body in fresh water, and shall be clean. And on the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves, or two pigeons, and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. So during the time that his discharge is running or flowing, he is obviously not allowed to enter the tabernacle. That would be to bring things associated with death and uncleanness into the presence of God. And that is what we must never do. God is of purer eyes than to look upon evil. Habakkuk 1.13. So, the matter must be dealt with outside before the individual comes inside. That is the instinct that is being cultivated here. Now, as to the process, it's very similar to what we've seen in the previous chapters. There is a cleansing process, a washing regiment. And then on the eighth day, a sacrifice, once again involving two birds. That is the process with regard to a chronic discharge in the male body. Now we hear about the process with regards to a normal or occasional discharge from the male body. Verse 16. If a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until the evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. In verse 16, the reference is to what we would call a nocturnal emission. This would be a semi-regular experience for an unmarried Hebrew man. There is nothing sinful about it, but it does require washing and purification. The process is fairly simple. He is to bathe and clean any garments that may have been affected. That would likely happen in the morning. He would be ceremonially unclean until sunset, and then he would be fine to resume his normal activities as a worshiper.
Verse 18 deals with an omission of semen due to natural marital intercourse. In such a case, the couple is simply to wash. Again, this would happen in the morning, and they would be ritually clean again come sunset. In verse 19, we begin to hear about normal or occasional discharges related to a female body. When a woman has a discharge, and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in her menstrual impurity for seven days, and whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean. And whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits, when he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. So this law states that a woman is ritually impure for seven days over the course of her normal period. Anyone who comes into contact with her menstrual fluids in an incidental way would need to wash and would then be unclean until evening. If her husband has sex with her while she is having her period, he is then sharing in her period of ritual uncleanness. He now, too, would be unclean for the whole seven days. That is the procedure in the case of normal discharge from a female body. In verse 25, the matter of abnormal or chronic discharge is dealt with. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves, or two pigeons, and bring them to the priest, to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one of them for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord for her unclean discharge. So if the woman has a chronic or ongoing discharge, it is treated basically as an extended period. After it is over, she will observe a waiting period of seven days to ensure that it is truly over. And after that, she shall be clean. She would bathe wash her clothes, and on the eighth day make a sacrifice, again involving two birds, at which point she would be declared clean and she would be readmitted to public life and worship. Which, of course, reminds us that during the time of her discharge, she would be excluded from public life and worship. Again, 
quarantine was really the only medical treatment available at that time. You could wash and you could practice good hygiene and you could stay home to avoid contaminating others. That was most of what was available to people in those days in terms of tools to fight off these sorts of contagions. So if your discharge went on for some time, you were basically in lockdown. That ought to give us some added sympathy for the woman described in Mark 5 who snuck up on Jesus so as to be healed from her chronic discharge. Mark 5, 25 to 34 says, And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Quote. That woman had been living in quarantine for 12 years. Now, as I record this, we're all growing a little weary under our own year-long battle with COVID-19. Our restrictions have not been total, like this dear woman's here, but they have been burdensome, and perhaps that helps you sympathize with her situation. And now, for her to be able to come into contact with Jesus and to be healed, what a miracle, what a gift, what a joy that would have been. And of course, what a picture of the gospel that is. It is Jesus that ultimately heals us of that which truly defiles us and keeps us away from God and from one another. His blood covers our sins, removes our stain, and heals the ultimate source of all our corruption. Because again, remember, this is just a tutelage. This is elementary. This is God building good gospel instincts into his people. When Jesus came, it was time for signs to give way to substance. Jesus taught people what really mattered. He moved them from all of this bodily imagery into spiritual significance. He said, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person? For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Matthew 15, 17 to 20. So it's time to set aside our crayons, boys and girls, our bibs and building blocks, Jesus says. But let's keep the instinct. Let's retain the principle because unclean people cannot enter the presence of a holy God. So let's keep that in mind. But now let's turn that towards the real source of all defilement. Let's turn that awareness now towards your own heart. That's where the problem is. And that's where the gospel solution needs to be applied. 
but we've gotten way ahead of ourselves now. We still have a lesson to complete here in Leviticus 15. Verses 31 to 33 give us the closing summary. Thus, you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness, by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an emission of semen becoming unclean thereby. Also for her who is unwell with her menstrual impurity, that is for anyone male or female who has a discharge, and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. So we have basic bodily processes in this passage that are intended to teach enduring spiritual principles. Peter Lightheart says here, once we make that transposition, we see that Israel's purity laws are still instructive. Someone defiled by murder, adultery, and slander spreads defilement, much as a menstruous woman communicated defilement under the law. Jesus wants us to react with revulsion to murder, slander, adultery, and lust like a Pharisee around a person who had a flow of blood or skin disease. If you're defiled by what comes from your heart, you do need cleansing, not by washing your hands, but with confession and the blood of Jesus. Close quote. Thanks be to God. Thank you, friends, for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those at intotheword.ca. You can also connect with Pastor Paul and other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just type Into the Word into the search bar. If you'd like to contribute to this listener-supported program, go to the website and click the Give bar in the top right corner. Once again, that's intotheword.ca. We hope to see you again real soon right here for another episode of Into the Word. Thank you.